First things first, I want to say it is a privilege and an honor to be able to bring um, the Word of God to you this morning. And it's a privilege and honor to go to this church, and I don't know everybody in here, some of you I know better than others, but it's a privilege and honor to go through this journey on this side of eternity with y'all. As we encourage each other, and we hold fast, and we teach each other to stand in Christ, as we see the day approaching, we also encourage each of us that we are all evangelists. We are all ambassadors for the Lord. And I want to stress this on the opening, that all of us have divine appointments that God has created before the foundations of the world that we should walk in them. I hope you believe that to be true because it is true. This morning, um, I have the opportunity to do a two-part uh, message this is going to be a two-part, and the second part is going to be very, very practical. And I want to remind you this, that all of us here, um, there are Bibles in front. If you're new here and you don't have a Bible, you may take one of those. Um, please keep it. Because here's the thing, we want the Word of God out. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the Prince of Preachers from the 19th century, he says, what's your trick at preaching powerful sermons? He says simply, the word of God is a lie, and I just let it out. They're not listening to Spurgeon. They're listening to the word of God. Uncompromising. Please take, take those scriptures with you. Um, so let's go ahead and let's begin. The title of this um, two-part sermon is called Standing in Christ. And I find it very fortuitous by the Spirit of God that one of the songs we sang was, Here I Stand, I Stand in Christ. I went back and I asked Patrick, when was the song list chosen? It was chosen three weeks ago. I didn't give David the title of the sermon until yesterday morning. So I sat back there and I went, good song. I would have chosen that one. Um, let's go ahead and let's begin. We're going to look, start off with a couple of things here before I get to uh, 2 Corinthians. In part one, I will explain the theology of standing in Christ. Now let's talk about theology for a second. Theology is a compound Greek word. Theos means God, ology means the study of. So biology is a Greek word for life, ology is the study of life. Are we all clear? Okay. Now let me just dispel a couple of things real quick. Number one, there are many people that believe in the church that only smart people can be theologians. That's not true. I've read some pretty PhD, THD theologians. They miss the most fundable thing, fundamental truth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And I will tell you this right now. In my personal life, some of the greatest theology that I have learned, I have learned from lay people. We are all to be students of God. And let's just be very, very clear about something. Smart and not smart. Folks, all of us have so much to learn. Can we just get that, oh, their so-and-so can do that, I'm not going to, no, 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 no. No, we are all called to do it, to study God. Does that make sense? I'm, okay. Now, um, 
The other thing about theology that a lot of people say, it's boring. I've heard that. It's boring. Well, wait a minute. It is? The study of the creator of everything is boring? Think about that one. And I'm going to go on, go on from this. I'll never forget the elderly woman that I read in a story that she, and I've said this before, she had a piece of bread, a moldy, stale, crusty piece of bread, and she basically says, this and Jesus too, I'm rich. All due respect, I closed a theology book and I said she got the point in one statement. Let's go ahead and let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 1 through 6. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through a series of scriptures to lay down a framework. And then I'm going to get passionate. Okay. Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians. And with the Corinthian church, do you, are we all clear that the Corinthian church had a few problems? And, and I've heard this, and I heard this yesterday. Um, I, was, I was at a friend I hadn't seen for 30, uh, 25 years a great theologian, and his vocation was cutting trees down for a living. Probably the most, one of the most influential theologians in my young life. And we were talking, and somebody made a, a statement, they don't want to go to church because churches are full of people that sometimes um, don't do what they're supposed to do. That's probably true. But so is every other human institution on the planet. So you're going to go to work, aren't you? Does that, does that make sense? You mean to tell me there's people that are actually trying to follow God and learn to live righteously that don't do it perfectly? Yes. So Paul had a lot of issues with the Corinthian church. And he had to correct some of those issues. And in the Corinthian church some people arose and started to criticize Paul, saying he wasn't a true apostle of the Lord. If you read the New Testament, Paul had to deal with this quite a bit. And in all due respect, that was Satan's attack on the authority of Paul. Because the Lord chose Paul to deliver much of the truth of the New Testament. So Paul writes this, and this is what he said. Now I, Paul, myself, in pleading with you by the meekness of and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence am lonely among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I present, I may, be, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us now as we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, Paul is talking about spiritual warfare here. And Paul used that a lot. Can I go to some sister passages here? Okay? Okay. Notice here in this passage, and this is going to be the main passage. Though we walk in the flesh, and we do, we do not wage war like the flesh. 
We don't use crafty arguments or manipulation or anger when we warfare. We use Christ. And let's be all clear what meekness is, because I struggle with that word. Meekness and humility, you can be bold and be meek. You can be prideful and be bold, but can you be meek and be bold? Moses was called the meekest man in the Old Testament. When I read Moses, he was sometimes pretty bold. And Jesus, who is the meekest of all, would you ever consider the Lord to be timid? He was meek, and yet he was what? He was bold. It's not being prideful in you, it's standing in Christ. Now, let's go on. Some false teachers were trying to malign Paul, and Paul is saying, look, let's deal with Let's deal with the issue in the room, and that is the power of lies. Okay? Now, let me go through a couple of observations. Number one, our weapons are mighty in God. That's going to be part two. We're really going to talk about what the weapons are. I'll allude to them here, but for the sake of time, that's the second part. Two, we are called to pull down strongholds. Strongholds are anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The warfare, we bring every thought captive to Christ. Not some, but what? All. If you're watching online, um, I, want to rem- I want to remember that you're there as well. Six. We live in a world system, we have an enemy, we have our own flesh, and we're called to get rid of stinking thinking. That's, I heard it one time and I thought, okay, it's cute, it's cheesy, it works, stinking thinking. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you as I stand up here. I preached over this passage 30 years ago, and I have since 30 years later realized that when I was a young man, I had a lot of stinking thinking to get rid of, and I don't stand up here and say, I've got it all all the stinking thinking done. Does that make sense? But I can tell you this, I'm going to apply what I preach in my life to the, to the, by the grace of God. Because the Lord is not done with me. And he's not done with you. We ready? Let's go to the sister passage. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, which is the armor of God. Are, we're familiar with that. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to what? Stand against the wiles of the devil. For do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, what faith really is. And I'll give you a hint. It's believe do. Biblical faith is belief followed by actions. The action is based off of the belief. Believe what? Do. Now, nothing you do will save you. But we are called to grow to maturity. There is an aspect of believe, do. We do because God's given us faith. 
So we can take no credit for the things we do because they all come from God. But let's make no mistake to sit there and give mental um, agreement with something is not the full definition of biblical faith because there's always the fruit of faith. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all fiery darts of the wicked one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, capitalize Holy Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, here's what I want to make a note here with the Corinthian passage where they're similar. You guys ready? It begins with the truth and it ends with the Word of God. Take every thought, what? Captive, pulling down what? Strongholds. The armor of God begins with the word of God, which is Jesus Christ, and ends with the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? And uh, we're going to talk about prayer in two weeks. And I just want to say this. And, well, I'm going to wait for two weeks to do that part. Okay. Um, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is one of those passages that we just, we just have got to know. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. A lot of people say, I want to know the will of God. Verses 1 and 2 will help you with that. Now, I want to just make this statement, and I want to say this as clearly as I can. The Bible 2,000 years ago said the human brains are able to be transformed. Well, gee, it only took modern science 2,000 years to figure that out. Do you know modern science for a long time believed that our human brains were set and could not be changed? Not the word of God. They can be what? You bet. Colossians 1.15 is the passage that I want to jump as I start moving forward. This is a very important piece of theology. He is Jesus here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. When Jesus said to, when Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the what? The Father. Now, this is very, very important. The supremacy of Christ. God, the triune, personal infinite God has revealed himself in Christ. Now, let's just jump. I didn't put the, this verse here, but let me just show you this. When it came to the creation of the world, John 1, 1 to 1, 3, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things came into being by him and nothing has come into being except through him. Verse 14, and the word became flesh. It was the son of 
that created. The Father willed it. The Son did it through the power of the Spirit. Christ. All lies come from the evil one, the father of lies. And can we just talk what lies are? Can they be powerful? You bet they can. I mean, look, if you told me in the room back there there was coffee, I'm there. But if you told me there was a really big rat or a snake back there, I might give it a wee bit of a thought. And I may sit here and not get my coffee. Guess what? It doesn't matter if there's a rat or snake back there. The fact matters, do I believe it? Because I'm scared more of them than I am liking coffee. So if I think there is something back there, I'm going to stay put and not get my what? But there is no rat or snake back there. But I believe there what? There is. Do you see it? Lies have power, but they're also incredibly weak because they're not true. And when you shine the light of truth on the darkness of a lie, do you understand darkness is the absence of light? Light is greater than darkness. So when light's present, the dark runs. Why? Because the light is superior. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And the darkness what? Flees. Because darkness is the absence of light. Noodle that one for a while. The supremacy of Christ. And I want to say this, and this I wrote in bold in my slides. 30 years ago, I did not understand what I'm about ready to say. I did and I didn't, not quite as well. Folks, every lie on this planet that the enemy says is an attack on the character and attributes of God. And since Christ is the visible image of the triune personal God who is there, who is infinite, they're attacked on Christ's word and faithfulness. All lies. How about this one? God, evolution is true. What's that an attack on? The very existence of God. How about this? You know, life is all about getting things. It's an attack on God's character when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the what. You see it? All lies. Every single stinking lie by the enemy is a lie against the character and attributes of the infinite personal triune God that is there. Beginning with Adam and Eve. Has God really said? He just called God a liar and Eve bought it. Or how about this? Has God really said that you shouldn't do that? Maybe he lied or maybe he just wants to keep you from something good because he's a mean, vicious God who wants to destroy all your fun. Let alone he just made you. But he wants to destroy your fun and not give you the goodness of life. He's really cruel. 
He created you and then said, oh, you can't have that because he loves to watch you. Give me a break. By the way, how'd it work out for Eve and Adam? Now, if that's true, that every lie is against the character and attributes of the triune personal God who was there, then the more we know Christ, the less the lies have power. It's really, folks, let me be, can I be very clear and blunt? This is not abstract. This is concrete. The more you know the triune personal God who is there in relationship, and part of knowing people in relationship is knowing who they are, you will find your life beginning to be transformed as it is based on Christ and not the lives of the devil, the world, or your own poor upbringing. Or good upbringing. I don't know. I always default to sometimes because I struggled with my upbringing. But then again, I wasn't a nice kid. Can I show you who got this in the Old Testament? David. Okay, David was a screw-up in a lot of areas, but he got this one right. One time, David was a very young boy, and uh, his father said, I want you to go out to the armies of Israel and give your brothers who are in the army, I want, to, I want you to give them some stuff from home. Oh, by the way, they're facing off against the Philistines. There's this giant, you know, named Goliath. And uh, this giant comes down and says, I challenge the armies of Israel. Send out a fighter, yada, 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 yada. And all the Israel guys are doing what? And some of them were big guys. Look, I'm not a big guy. I mean, I would be like, uh-uh, not me. <laughs> Might wave my hat high. <laughs> um, sorry if you're online. That's okay. Um, you ready? What does David do? He goes to the king and says, "Let me go." You can't go. You're a teenager. Let me go. Fine. Wear my armor. I'm not wearing that. Don't fit. I got a sling. I'm good. And he goes out. And then, guess what happens? Goliath comes down and begins to taunt. I want you to listen to David's response. Remember, in Scripture, what is David called? A man after what? So even when David got in trouble, oh, by the way, he got in trouble, he appealed to the character and attributes of the triune personal God who was there, and he knew God would forgive him because he knew God is a compassionate, kind, loving God. Hallelujah. Listen to what David said. I love this. Then David said to the Philistine, You come with me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Not in David's name, but in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then listen to what David said again. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. You didn't taunt Israel. You didn't taunt the armies. You taunt the living God, and I'm in his name, and you're toast. Because David saw for what it was. Goliath was taunting God. And if you want to know more about that at a deeper level... Go to the Genesis group. You'll find out when they get to Genesis 6 who Goliath really was. 
You gotta love David. You see, you know what David was very quick? David was not in love with David. David was love in the character and attribute. He was in love with the Lord. And again, when he got in trouble, if you read Psalm 51, David prays an incredibly bodacious prayer after he just murdered somebody and committed adultery and committed, her, you know, did all this. And he says, Lord, forgive me according to your gracious kindness and loving compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Not according to my repentant heart, but according to what? To your character and attributes. You want to know another character and attribute of God? He doesn't change. Praise God. Because if he did change, we would have nothing to stand on. Who's the visible image of the triune personal God who was there? Jesus. Standing in what? In who? In Christ. Now, I have a diagram, and I want to show you something, and then... Okay. That person, I want to, I'm going to get very, a little philosophical with you here. We are finite creatures. We are creatures. We are really limited in our power. I don't even have power over my dog. Yeah. yeah. At least I know my girl's paying attention. Folks, I'm not even going to have power over this body in 20 years. Let alone, I've lost some of the power now. Sometimes I'll, okay, I, I won't, no, we're online. But okay, I'll, I'll do it. Okay, sometimes I'll be, I'll drink a cup of coffee and I'll burp and I go, where'd that come from? How'd that escape? Because I just, you, we, you, you all clear, we just, we are creatures. And you want to know what the Bible calls us? Of all the animals in Scripture, you, what does the Bible call us? Sheep. I've raised sheep. They're not smart. And I'm not calling people, Liz, please understand me. I'm not calling people not smart. I'm just talking about sheep right now. I've raised sheep. I had nine of them in high school, and I worked at the Portland Stockyards when there was a Portland Stockyards. Sheep run in herds. I'll never forget trying to yard, and when you yard a sheep, you're trying to get it to go to the right stall. And if a sheep's in a herd, you can get them to go real easy. One goes, they all go. But man, you get one sheep, I don't know what to do. I mean, I had one one time launch up against me and says, you want to go? Uh, yeah, he ran me over. <laughs> and he ended up hurting <laughs> itself in the process, let alone making the shepherd upset. Not good. But, but we really are. And you know what? I'm very happy that I finally realized that I'm a needy creature. Because you know what? That's okay. I don't want to be self-sufficient. I don't want to miss the joy of the connection I have with people and with my creator that my own frailness and finiteness bring. You know why? Because if I was self-sufficient, I may never reach out to be loved. 
and I may be deprived the ability to know love. I would take knowing love far more important than having a perfect body or whatever. Do you understand? I'm so thankful of my weakness because in my weakness, I cling to his strength. Now, I'm going to get very philosophical. Can we put the diagram, or excuse me, not the diagram, what was it? The image back up? Okay. I want to show you something. I'm going to get very philosophical here, and this actually comes from the classes I teach. Human beings, because they're finite, we get all meaning from context. Does that make sense? All meaning from what? From context. Okay? All meaning from what? There are a couple of areas of context we get. Number one, we get context of the times we live in and the country we live in. Does that make sense? We also get context because we live on the earth. Folks, look around. If you're born and raised here, the mountains, Mount Hood, the Columbia River, trees, all of that is what? To a Pacific Northwestern or a person born in the Portland area, does that mean something? Have you ever moved away from somewhere and got homesick? What you're really missing is the context of the place and the people that were there. We get our context from our humanity, from how God made us in his image and likeness, from who we are. But here's the most important thing. Jesus Christ gives the context of all of that. Let me explain. How does Jesus give us the time context? All of history is about him. His first coming, the creation, his second coming. It's all in here. All the prophecies that are in here all give a framework that God is in control of history. And it's all about Jesus. What did he say to the Pharisees? I'm on every single page. He gives the context of the earth. We were made in his image and likeness and God gave us this planet. We are creatures that are made for the Earth, the earth for us. Does that make sense? No, the earth is just the earth. We're made for God, but did he place us here? And it was Jesus that did it. Our biology, our humanity, and all of that, are we made in the image and likeness of God? If you look at Christ, he answers all of the contextual questions we need in this life, for us as finite creatures to have context and make sense. And if we start pulling down the strongholds and replace those lies with who Jesus is, we will find those strongholds come down and we will find us growing in maturity. Let me give you an example.
How about this statement? Let's see how Christ would answer it. And this will give you a hint of, of what's going to be on in the next two weeks. Ready? Somebody who actually says, and most people would not say this in public because that would be embarrassing, but a lot of people walk around in our culture and think that they're not worth very much. Is that, is that, could that be true? Okay. Or another way of saying it, I'm, I'm not worth anything, I'm just a piece of garbage. Okay. Is it a very sad thing to live in that kind of a thought? How does Christ answer that? Well, you're made in the image and likeness of God. Jesus did the creating. And you were so valuable made in the image of likeness of God that God sent his son, the father sent his son to be human and fully God to live on this earth for 33 years and die a horrendous death and raise again from the dead so that you can be his. Now, if you put all that together, that screams that you're not a piece of garbage. In fact, you're so valuable that the creator of the universe died on the cross to redeem you. You don't redeem something that's not valuable. So when Paul says, I preach what? Christ, what he was saying was, I preach Christ and the cross and the death and resurrection of the cross gives me the context of my entire existence and the lives of the enemies are pulled down one by one. But that doesn't mean you walk around arrogant, no, because you're also a finite creature and he is Lord, so therefore is there humility. But you see, we know that. We know the cross is there. We know we're valuable. But do you understand it's one thing to know here. It's another thing to take thoughts captive and pull it what? Down. Now, do you remember I told you in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about how do you do this? And our weapons are not carnal. They're mighty. Which means as we begin to walk and trust the Lord and do the things that he's asked us to do, he's the one that does it because this is a partnership. Does that make sense? Okay. David told me not to say that. Okay. Um, and in all of this, to the unbeliever, I would say this. If you don't know Christ, I would challenge you, realize you need forgiveness. Because what do we know about the facts of our existence? We've all done things that need to be forgiven. And they need to be forgiven because if, 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 if they wouldn't need forgiveness, then goodness doesn't mean anything. But yet God wants to forgive you completely. He loves you. Also, if you're, if you're online and you're like, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. I feel like I'm adrift. People look so happy. And inside, I put on a smile as I drink my latte. But I don't know. Let me, I'll make a suggestion to you. The only context that will do this is Christ. And if you don't understand what all that means, you just say, God, I, I just please forgive me. Jesus just help me. And then I would say this if you're online or here. 
Contact somebody at the church. Say, I need help. I have questions. Are there people here that would love nothing more than to do that? I know Pastor David would. And I know there are others here that do this all the time. We are finite creatures and we need the context of Christ. The other thing too is if you're a believer and you've got some strongholds in your life where you just go, gosh, you know, I know what I'm thinking there's not right, then I want to explain in two weeks the process of how to do this. And I am in the process right now of dealing with the stronghold of some thinking that I've got to get rid of. But what did God say? Our weapons are what? They're powerful. And I, I I, I know of people in the Lord, lots of them who have said, I used to believe this, now I'm here. And I've seen God just completely transform them. And when God transforms us, he heals us in ways that the healing runs deep. I am so glad, if you know Christ, I am so glad that your life is in him. And by the way, I'll just say this. You may think, that's great, Glenn. That's great for you yeah, and others. But you don't understand. I've, I've been doing this a long time, and I just seem always to mess it up. <laughs> Why should you be any different? Um, you ready? Have you ever read the disciples' stories in the Gospels? Let's, let's be clear. Your story's not done. What if the next chapter is there? And let's remember, as God does this, and you begin to see the work of God, you're going to tell people about him. I will also say this to those that are online that are skeptics and in here. If you at all are like, okay, is Jesus really on every page? Is he really, is history all about him? Are the prophecies true? Uh-huh. Ask. Seek. Knock. Ask. If you're thinking, well, I'm just a, I'm just a church attender. What, what do I have to offer? Christ. Not only did God enter time to save us on the cross, do you understand that the Holy Spirit is here now? Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, intercessing for you. And the triune God is at work right now among the believers and children of God. He's not far off. We may be, but he's not. He's the infinite, and I keep saying it, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get some theology. He is the infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, no limitations, triune, personal God who is here.
The weapons are powerful. So in two weeks, we're going to talk about them. Prayer. Taking every thought captive. What does that actually mean? How does it look? Worship. Testimony. These sort of things. So now we're going to move to communion. And I'm going to say just a couple of words of that as as the communion team gets communion. Communion is a time in which believers basically remember and celebrate the death and resurrection, the, the crucifixion of our Lord and the promise of his return. If you're not a believer, it's okay. Not, don't take it. If you are a believer, take it. But again, on communion, we, we should always go to the Lord first with our hearts and say, is there anything that we need to confess or anything like that? But can you ready? Think about this, and I'll close this with communion you know, as, as they pass it out. When we do communion, what are we saying? We stand in who? In Christ. We stand in who? In Christ. Everything about his life, everything about his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, all provide the context for our lives. History, our place, everything. all provide the context of our lives. And the other thing too is, as we pass out communion, there is nothing, nothing, that the Lord will not forgive. Because He's a loving God who loves to save.